Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we conclude our study into the book of Isaiah by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. Why don't you go ahead and turn to Isaiah 53. The last time we'll be looking at Isaiah 53, we'll actually be focusing on another passage today, but we want to summarize that as we move forward. We've been focusing on the gospel according to Isaiah 53. And over the last weeks, we have focused on that in great detail. And I just want to remind you about this morning, about what we've learned about Jesus, what we've learned about the anointed servant. And then I want to answer a question for you that is posed here in the Old Testament. What, do we, what have we learned in Isaiah 53? Let's go over this for just a moment. You can write these notes down or make a note in your Bible. We learned in verse 2 how he would come, not as an adult, but he would come as a child. We found out also that he would come as a common man, not dressed in royalty. He wasn't going to be as a king. He's not coming. He'll come the second time as king. But the first time he came as a common man. In verse 3, we find that he would be despised, forsaken, and that this anointed servant would be acquainted with grief. We find out in verse 4 that he bore our sins and our sorrows. He is going to come and he's going to bear our sins and our sorrows. Verse 5, we discovered that he was pierced and crushed for our healing. In verse 6, we find out that he, that we needed that because we had all like sheep gone astray. In verse 7, we found out that he suffered and he died like a sheep. Or like a lamb. He did not resist. He did not fight. He did not open his his mouth. He gave his life willingly. In verse 8 we find out that he died as a young man. He wasn't going to be an old man. He was going to die in the prime of his life. Being cut off. In verse 9 we found out that his grave was assigned with the wicked. As he hung there on the cross. But that whenever he died. He died with or he was buried in a rich man's tomb. We also found out in verse 10 that he was a sin and guilt offering for us and that he will live eternally and see his offspring. In verse 11, we saw that by knowing him, a person is justified. By knowing or having a relationship, a person is justified. We saw in verse 12, as, as well as in chapter 52, verses 13 and following, that he, because he died and suffered for us and did what the Father said, that he would be exalted, that he would be glorified. So there in the Old Testament, we see a great presentation of the gospel of Christ. But here's the question that I want to ask you and I want you to wonder about for just a moment. Why did that have to happen? Why in Isaiah 53 did did he describe about this anointed servant who is going to have to suffer and die on our behalf that we might live forever, that he would live forever? Why would that happen? Well, that has to be answered also in the Old Testament. We know that in the New Testament. We know that it says that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? We all know that because we've sinned, we deserve death. But God wanted to give to us the free gift of eternal life. In other words, when you go to the New Testament, the book of Romans, and all, you understand why we needed a Savior because we were sinners. 
But back in the Old Testament, before we get to the New Testament, after Jesus' walk, why did somebody have to die? Why did this anointed have to, servant have to die? Was it ever addressed in the Old Testament? The answer is yes. Matter of fact, it's addressed by the oldest book in the Old Testament. What is that? It's the book of Job. The book of Job. So I want you to leave Isaiah 53, and I want you to turn back a few pages in your Bible to the book of Job. Because I think it's important for us to understand that Isaiah answers the question that is posed in this old, old book, the book of Job. Now, Job is the oldest book. It was written during the time of the patriarchal period. We don't really know a whole lot about Job other than it was described here. But we know that Job, and when you think about Job, you think of Job as being the one who what? Who suffered greatly. And most people, when they think of the book of Job, they think that's all they think about is, man, Job, he had a bad day. Man, he suffered greatly, and his friends came along and tried to comfort him, and they didn't do any good in comforting that. But finally, Job, as he goes through this and deals with himself and deals with God, he finally gets restored, and we act as though that's the whole question or the whole of the book of Job. But that's not really the issue of Job. The real issue of Job is is the same issue as in all the Bible. Do you, know, do you know what the real purpose... Hold on a second, now look at me. Do you know what the real purpose of the Bible, what, what the ultimate purpose of the Bible is? The ultimate purpose of the Bible is that you and I might have eternal life. That's the purpose of the Bible. It is that you and I will know what we need to know, do what we need to do in order that we will live eternally. That's the whole essence. And therefore, the book of Job deals with that. It deals with that question. How does a person and how can a person live eternally? How can a person live eternally? So Job asked that question, very clearly asked that question. And then his three friends try to give him answers that are not appropriate. But Job then will tell you and me what is the appropriate answer. Let me show you in Job chapter 9. Job chapter 9. Here is the ultimate question in verse number 1. Here it is. Then Job answered, In truth I know that this is so. But this is what you need to underline. But how can a man be in the right before God? You hear that question? How can a man be in right before God? Let me add a few words to that to help us to really understand what he's saying. How can a sinful man who does wrong, who was born in sin, who can't help it but he does sin, how can a sinful man be in right relationship with a holy God who cannot be around sin? That's the eternal question. How can a sinful man be in a right relationship with a holy God? Or how can a sinful man make his way and live eternally with a holy God? That is the question that is posed. He asked that question. That's the eternal question. That's what Isaiah 53 answered. Isaiah 53 is going to answer that who it's going to be and what that person is going to have to do to come help us. 
That, that's what the New Testament is going to help us to understand and answer. How can a sinful man be in right with a holy God? That's the question you need to ask in your own heart and life. How can I, yes, you are, a sinful person, be in right relationship with a holy God? How can I, a sinful person, be able to go to heaven and live forever in that place where holy God lives? How can I do that? That is the question. Well, he has three friends. You remember when Job was suffering, he had three friends who came to see him. Now, they were pretty good friends because they came there and they sat for days before they ever said anything. I mean, when he's suffering, his friends came and sat with him while he's suffering. And then they decide that they're going to give him answers to what his problem is. They're going to try to give him some answers to this question that he's posed because they think Job is a sinful man. They think Job's such a sinner, that's why he suffered so greatly. I mean, that's what, in their mind, the reason you're suffering is because you're a terrible sinner. You've done something really bad. That's why you're suffering so bad. And so they're going to try to answer this question, how can a sinful man be in right with a holy God? But their answers are not, are not right. Let me show you their answers. Turn with me to Job chapter 4. Job chapter 4. The first of those friends was the man named Eliphaz. And he's going to tell Job, answer Job's question about how does a sinful man be in right with a holy God? And he says that the way you are in right with the Holy God is you're going to have to have a spiritual experience. A spiritual experience. Not necessarily a spiritual experience with God, but you're going to have to get in the spiritual realm. You realize that that's an answer today too? I mean, you can look everywhere and people will tell you, you need to get in the spiritual realm. You need to find this, and you need to meditate on that, and you need to do this. There's all kinds of spiritual answers that are not God that are out there. Well, that's not anything new. That's exactly what Eliphaz said. Listen to what he says in verse number 12. Now, a word was brought to me stealthily. That means secretly. It means unseen from the unseen world, a stealth bomber. A stealth bomber, it can't be detected. It can't be seen. There was a word that was brought to me stealthily or from a spiritual realm. Listen. And my ears received a whisper of it. Amid disquieting thoughts from the vision of the night. When deep sleep falls on men. In other words, when I was in a deep sleep. When I was in the midst of that deep sleep, it says disquieting thoughts and visions of the night came. Look at verse 14 tells you this is not the spirit of God. Listen, what happens in 14? Dread came upon me and trembling and made all my bones shake. Does that sound like the spirit of God? Sound like he's having an experience with God's spirit? God's spirit is supposed to what? Bring you what? Peace and joy. That's the fruit of the spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience. Not this. He says, Dread came upon me and trembling and made all my bones shake. Then a spirit passed by my face. The hair of my flesh bristled up. It stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence. Then I heard a voice. This is a spirit that is speaking to him. Do you understand that there are demonic spirits? 
There are evil spirits. Just as there are angels of God, there are evil spirits. And they do things that will hinder you and hurt you. Many of the things that you struggle with in your life is because there are demonic attacks that come upon you. It's making you think thoughts and feel certain ways. That is a real, real reality that you need to grasp and understand, okay? The spiritual world is real. And he says right here, listen, I heard a voice. Now listen to what the voice said. Can, um, can mankind be just before God? Isn't it interesting? He asked the same question about that. Can a man be pure before his maker? Now listen to what the Spirit says. He puts no trust even in his servants. And against his angels, he charges error. Isn't that interesting that this Spirit would talk about the angels that he charges error? Because what is a demon? A demon is what? A fallen angel who rejected God and didn't want God to be God. He wanted Satan to be God. And therefore, they followed God. And what did God do? He threw them out of heaven. And so here's this demon that says, against his angels, he charges air. Now, listen to verse 19. How much more those who dwell in houses of clay. Who's that? That's you. <laughs> in other words, he treats angels like that. Boy, he's going to really treat you worse than angels whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed before the moth. You hear what that spirit's saying? You can't be right with a God like that, God. I mean, you mess up, he throws you out of heaven. And we're angels, and, and, and you are just of clay. And if you do wrong, if you do wrong, you, you're not going to be able to be right with God. Boy, it doesn't that sound. Have you ever heard that voice? Have you ever heard that same voice? Have you ever sinned and, and you've done something, made a mess of things, and all of a sudden the old demon comes up and he starts accusing you and telling you how sorry you are and how wretched you are and how God doesn't have anything for you? He tells you all kinds of lies and ungodliness. That's what the demons do because they do not want you to understand the truth of how is a sinful man right with the holy God just wants to beat you down whenever you realize that you're not a holy as God and you are a sinful man or a sinful person. Well, Eliphaz's answer is not the right answer. If you want to know it's not the right answer, go to the last chapter of the book of Job and God tells all three of those servants, all three of those friends, you did not speak the word from me. And he goes on and says, if you want to be forgiven, you ask Job to pray for you, and I'll forgive you. They couldn't even pray for themselves. They had to have Job pray for them. You did not speak my word. So what Eliphaz, Eliphaz said, well, if you'll just get in the spiritual realm, and you'll listen to the spirituals, and you'll spend your time there, you'll find out something. Well, what you find out is not what you want to find out, what's not going to help you to know how to be in right with a holy God. Well, let's look at the next friend. Next friend is Bildad. His is in chapter 8. Bildad, chapter 8. Bildad says, if you want to be right with holy God, you just need to be educated. You need to be educated. You need to study. What he says in verse 8. Chapter 8, verse 8. Please inquire of past generations and consider the things searched out by their fathers. For we are only of yesterday, and we what? Look what it says. And we know nothing. We're only of yesterday. We know nothing. 
Because our days on earth are a shadow. Will they not teach you and tell you and bring forth words from their minds? He goes on talking about that. This is what he said. If you want to be right with God, you just need to get smarter. (laughs) You need to get smarter. Now, how do you get smarter? You inquire of past generations. You go back and you study history and you find out what all happened there. And the smarter you get and the more intelligent you get, you're finally going to get smart enough, I guess, that you can be right with God. Well, let me tell you something about that. I don't know about you and your perception of things, but we're probably smarter than we've ever been. Aren't we all smarter than we've ever been? I mean, think about the knowledge that is in the world. Think about the technological advances that are in the world. Look at all of you got your phones, don't you? (laughs) If you want to know anything in the world about anything, just pick up your phone and turn it on and ask the question. You don't have to punch it in anymore. Just ask her. Of course, she can't ever understand my language, so she always does the wrong thing. I I need a phone that understands southern dialect. Do do y'all need that? I'll say, call so-and-so and and just call somebody on the other side of the world. Mine doesn't work the way other people's work. But all you have to do is just go. We're smarter than we've ever been. But let me ask you a question. Now that we are smarter and we got more advanced and education is higher, the smarter we get, are we getting closer to God I'm going to tell you, the smarter we get, the further we get away from God. We get so smart, we don't need God. Anything we need, we can find on our phone. Any answer's got to be there. We we can get that answer. And the more and more and more that we get educated and understood. Now, I'm not against education. I'm certainly, I have plenty of degrees. I'm not against education. But I am against education if that's the means whereby we're going to get right with God. If that is true, then we ought to go to the best Ivy League schools and we ought to find the most spiritual people in the world. Is that what you find? No. You go to college campuses. Unless there's been a revival that swept it, and I don't know about it, you find there whenever we're pursuing this learning that that's the most spiritual people in the world? Like I said, I'm not against education, but I'm against education whenever somebody says, if you want to know how to be right with God, then you just need to get smarter. I don't want want to get smarter if it means me being so smart, I don't need God. That's what Bildad said. Well, let me give you the last of those answers, and his name is Zophar. It's found in chapter 11. Zophar. Eliphaz says it's the spirituals. Bildad said it's education. Zophar said this, you just need to be religious. (laughs) You need to be religious. Listen to what he says in verse 13 of chapter 11. If you would direct your heart right, listen now, and spread out your hand to him. In what? In worship, right? If you will direct your, uh, direct your heart right and spread out your hands to worship. If iniquity is in your hand, put it far away. And do not let wickedness dwell in your tents. Then indeed you could lift up your face without moral defect. And you would be steadfast and not fear. Huh. 
For you would forget your trouble as the waters have passed by. You would remember it. And your life would be brighter than noonday. Darkness would be like the morning. Then you would trust because there is hope. And you would look around and rest securely. You would lie down and none would disturb you. And many would entreat your favor. All because what? Because you were religious and you participated in religious activities. You came together. Not only did you come together and direct your heart right, but you got so spiritual you raised your hands in worship. I think that's great. I think it's wonderful to raise your hands in worship. But not not if you think raising your hands in worship is what's going to make you right with God. Not if you think coming to church and being on the Sunday school roll is going to make you right with God. You can be a member of every church in town and not be right with God. Do you understand that? But that is a lie, just like Zophar said. If I can just go to church, put my name on the roll, be a part of that, be religious some, I'll do, and I'll do what I can. I'm going to do as much as I can. Surely I will be right. And I'll be happy, and I'll be satisfied, and I can lie down in peace. Well, those three guys, all three of them, I told you, look at the last chapter of Job. None of those answers are right. Not the spirituals, not education and intelligence and growing in that, not in religious activity. None of those things work to make a sinful man right with a holy God. But thanks be to God. Go back to chapter 9. Job, who had wisdom, Job, who walked with God, he knew what the answer was. He asked the question in verse 1, but how can a man be in right before a holy God? He gives the answer then beginning in verse 30. That's what he says of chapter 9. If I should wash myself with snow and clean my hands with lye, yet thou would plunge me into the pit and my own clothes would abhor me. In other words, he said... Man, if I wash myself with lye soap and I wash my clothes and I got as clean as I could be, I'm still, just what it says, that our righteous deeds are as filthy rags. That's what he said. Look what he said in verse 32. For he, talking about God, is not a man that I may answer him, that we may go to court together. In other words, we're not equals I'm not an equal. God on one side and I'm on the other side. We're going to go to court together. God is way above me. We are not equals. Then look at verse 33. There is no umpire or mediator between us who may lay his hand upon us both. You know what Job just said? Job said, there's no way I can be right with God. There's no way in my, in my makeup I can be right with God. There's no way I can go to court and argue with God. He says, what I need is an umpire. An umpire in a baseball game is the one who stands between the two teams, who referees and mediates between the two teams that the game would go on. It's the mediator, a position of mediator. And he says, there's no umpire or mediator between me and God. 
He says, what I need is someone who's able to mediate and stand between me and God, which means this. Hold on a second. It means that he is able to hold the hand of God. He's able to hold the hand of God. That means he's holy. He's holy. But then it also, he has to be able to reach down here and hold the hand of man who is sinful. And he says, I don't have anybody like that. I don't have anyone like that. I need somebody who can stand as mediator between me and God, who is a God-man. Unheard of. Unheard of. That there's a God-man. But Job said, as old as the Bible is and as human history is, he says, that is the answer. If I don't have that, I have no hope. Then Isaiah 53 comes and says, let me tell you, uh, let me tell you about somebody who's coming. Let me tell you about somebody who's coming who's going to be able to hold the hand of both. He's the anointed servant. Let me show you what Paul says. Turn over your Bibles to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul answers this. and Paul reveals to us in the New Testament. Remember, the New Testament is progressive revelation. It's, it's revealing to us now what we've learned as history has progressed. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy verse 3. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You hear that, guys? You hear that? Listen, he wants all men to what? To be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now listen to verse 5 and 6. For there is one God, holy God, And one mediator, there he is, there he is, the one we've been looking for, the one we needed, the one that Job told us we have to have, the one Isaiah pictured is coming. And one mediator between God and men. Hear that? One mediator between God and men. Who is it? The man, hold on a second, look at every word. The man, Christ Jesus. He's a man, but he is Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one of God, Jesus. He is the Savior. That word, he's the man, Christ Jesus. Who what? Who did exactly what Isaiah 53 said he had to do. Look at verse number six. Who gave himself as a ransom for all. The testimony born at the proper time. Does that tie it up for you? (laughs) I'm here to tell you, friend, if you're thinking, that puts that in a package. What we needed, what Job said we have to have, what Isaiah said one is coming. Now Paul says to Timothy, he came. He was the fulfillment of everything Isaiah said he had to be. He did everything Isaiah said he would have to do. And he is the one who's the mediator. The hope of mankind. The one who makes us acceptable in the sight of God. 
the one who enables us as sinful men to be right with holy God. That one mediator, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave his life a ransom for many. I don't know how it could be clearer. I don't know how it could be clearer from the oldest book in the Bible to the New Testament writings with Isaiah sandwiched right there in the middle to paint you a picture of what Jesus was going to look like and what he was going to do. If you've never given your heart to Christ, you ought to. <laughs> You're not going to find the answer in the spiritual world. You're not going to find the answer in the next book you read. You're not going to find... The answer in religious activity, you're not going to find the answer in any of those things. You're going to find the answer in the one mediator, Jesus, who could hold your hand because he's a man and God's hand because he's God, who is the one true God-man. You've never given your heart to him, you need to. If you have, you ought to praise God every day. And <laughs> somehow, some way. Somebody shared with you, and you realized you needed Jesus, and you have him as your Lord and Savior. You ought to praise God for that every, every day. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.